0: Good morning. good morning on uh, this time change day and beginning of uh, spring break. I was sent a message uh, by Wayne this morning about uh, 20 minutes before the service, reminder of time change. I sent a message back. What good would that do me now? <laughs> you know. Fortunately, uh, with the Lord's help, I was. Uh, reminded about it and I was ready for it, but it reminded me of the Aggie. See, I can tell Aggie jokes because I are one, okay? Remind me of the Aggie who, after one week of, uh, of the time change, he came to his pastor and said, Pastor, I hate this daylight savings time. That extra hour of sunlight just about burn up my garden Well, it's, it's time change day, and it's spring break for a lot of the kids that are out of school and for uh, teachers. We got any teachers here this morning? Are you on spring break? Yeah, it kind of feels good, doesn't it? Take a break. You deserve it. I'm married to a teacher, and I know what that's like, and uh, so enjoy it. Just kind of Exhale. This week, Could you do that? Just, just breathe out and get ready for a couple more months or so. Okay? The 60s pop group, The Drifters, first recorded a song that was later sung by folk singer James Taylor. And it captured our periodic need to take a break, to escape to a p- place of peace and solitude. And by the way, you can find uh, our text this morning. It's in Acts chapter 10. But this is the way this song went. When this old world starts getting me down and people are just too much for me to face, I'll climb way up to the top of the stairs and all my cares just drift right into space. See, the drifters were singing this. so All my cares just drift right into space. On the roof, it's peaceful as can be. And there, the world below can't bother me. So when I come home feeling tired and beat, I'll go up where the air is fresh and sweet. I'll get away from the hustling crowd and all that rat race noise down in the street. On the roof, that's the only place I know where you just have to wish to make it so. Let's go up on the roof. We have any roof climbers here this morning? I just want to tell you, I can't do it. I don't do it anymore. But I can remember sometimes whether it was on the roof or whether it was just on the porch. Uh, It might have been uh, shell and pecans or peas or something like that. I remember some of those days. And just the, the place of solitude, the place of peace. And the Apostle Peter had that same idea one day when he climbed up on the roof around noontime while they were getting lunch ready down below you know, and he thought, well, I'm going to go up on the roof and spend some time by myself. He was staying at a house of a friend who was also, his name was also Simon. He was a tanner and he had a house by the sea. So I can just picture being up on the roof, looking out at the sea in this city of of Joppa. It's now Tel Aviv today. And there Peter had this experience. And I guess his experience turned from One song into another he wouldn't have known the song up on the roof but maybe he'd have known the song i don't know just a little talk with jesus and he had he he went up there to pray and it so often happens we go to pray and we've got a we've got a laundry list of things that we want to talk to god about when we pray we don't sometimes expect to have a life-changing experience With something that God has to bring to us it's more than just seeking peace and quiet he went up there to pray that's our greatest need but in that greatest need is to hear a word from God there's no more important time in our lives than to have a little talk with Jesus and to hear back from him something that is pertinent relevant and cutting edge for us at that moment. And so for us today, individually and, dare I say, collectively, corporately, as a church, to hear from God, to hear from the Lord Jesus. So we find in a little talk with Jesus several things in this story. We're going to kind of go over this story for a few minutes. In that talk, he does most of the talking. We go up to talk, but it turns out we end up listening. Look at chapter 10 in Acts, verses 9 to 12. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's noon. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. He's hungry. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. I mean, it was a hunter's paradise, just put right before it, you know? And uh, it was different. You know, when we pray, we don't don't expect Jesus to speak, but the Lord had a life-changing message right here in this vision for Peter that he never expected. He fell into a trance. You know, nobody says, I'm going up to the roof to fall into a trance. I'm not planning that. You can't plan that. It happened. And he was shown a vision. I'm sure Peter had a few things he wanted to discuss and a little talk with Jesus. But Jesus had one big thing. He wanted to get across to Peter, and that took over the entire conversation. Can I talk to you, church? You're in an important time, saints of God. As your church enters into an interim time between pastors, make sure you have that talk with Jesus, and don't rush it. Okay? Don't put God on a clock on a time change. It doesn't work that way. Make sure you don't miss what Jesus has to say to you individually and collectively as a church. Don't be in a hurry to just get a preacher in, to get a pastor in. If you end up with an interim pastor like Dr. Hatchett, you'll have a good one. You know that. So, no need to rush it. You're good for now, but you've got to hear from Jesus about what's next, and you need to take the time to hear from him. And for Peter, it was one visit up to the rooftop, but for you, it may be several visits to the rooftop, wherever your rooftop is. Take that time. He does most of the talking, and you need to hear what he has to say now. Not what he had to say yesterday, years ago, but the eternal God, the eternal Son of God resurrected, the Lord of this church, the head, what he says about now is key. So He does most of the talking, but in this, in this little talk with Jesus, he talks a lot about what he's doing. It was almost lunchtime. And since Peter was hungry, the Lord spoke to him through the example of some Jewish dietary restrictions. You see, all his life, Peter, like any good Jew, had been practicing the command that comes from Leviticus chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. Now, they read this. I'm sure you've got this memorized, right? Leviticus chapter 20. He said, you are therefore, speaking to the nation of Israel... You are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have, listen, key word, separated for you and said is unclean. Thus you are to be holy the word means separated, to me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart. I've separated you from all the other peoples, all the other tribes, all the other nations. I've set you apart to be mine. Now, why, was, why were these restrictions issued? Simply, as a reminder, symbolic of the fact that they were to be different from everybody else. They were to be the nation of Israel, and through a period of of centuries, God would be working on this nation to be a light to everybody else, all the other nations of the world. And so as a reminder, they were to be very picky, very selective about what they ate used to k- take my kids to uh, eat somewhere. I got one daughter. She'd open up her hamburger and pick out all the onions with those little little fingers, you know. Be very picky. I would say, you know, she, she'd order, order a cheeseburger, cut the cheese, you know. Well, isn't that just a hamburger? <laughs> Some of us are picky. They were to be picky about what they ate, but not because it was a dietary or digestive thing, but because it was a spiritual thing. So here is Peter on the rooftop and a sheet is lowered in this vision and all of these things that he was never supposed to eat were there. And we read in in chapter 10, verses 13, back in Acts, a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now that's different. That's new. That's out of the box. The voice from heaven says, okay, you can eat these. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, saying, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So it was taken up into the sky. Evidently, it wasn't about killing and eating animals and birds, but it was something bigger than that that God was saying. Now, did God get it wrong back in Leviticus? Did he change his mind? He said, we're not supposed to eat these things. And Peter had been keeping that all of his life he's been doing it. And suddenly the vision from heaven says, okay, eat them. But before he can do that, the sheet is taken back up. There's no animals and no birds. So what is going on right here? The Lord's message was not really about food. It was about people. It was as if he was saying, Before I was separating you and, and you were to eat only these things because you were to be holy to me, you were to be distinct, you were not to have the kind of contact with others that would cause you, put you in a situation where you would eat what they're eating. But now is different, something new. Now, he says, You can eat these things but more than that now understand that i'm about to do something with all the other peoples all the other nations all the other tribes call them the gentiles and i'm about to take the gospel is what he's saying the gospel that has been that started with the jews started with israel and i'm about to take it to all of the peoples the nations the tribes of the world. This was a totally new message. It shouldn't have been why Peter had been there when Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold and I will bring them in. He was there when Jesus had said that. Indications had been all throughout the Old Testament scriptures that God was going to exalt himself in all of the nations of the world. It was there for anyone who wanted to see it throughout the scriptures up till but now that's the key now he's saying it's not something that is for the future is something for now what i'm about to do and when the voice from heaven says what i've said is no longer unclean it's not unclean i'm changing things up i'm doing something new in your talk with jesus would you dare to ask him to show you, First Baptist Church of Rosenberg, what new thing he might be doing today. Are you willing to discover what new thing he might have for your church? And I know I'm talking to a lot of faithful saints of God. Some of them you would say, I've been a Baptist my whole life. Others would say, I'm new to to Baptist regardless You've been faithful. You've stayed with what you what you have believed to be right. And there's a long, wonderful heritage as a result of that. But I want to suggest to you folks, about the only thing that's not changing today in God's world is his word. It remains the same. But everything else is up for grabs, it seems. It's rocking my world, okay? It is. It's tough. You know, I remember back when uh, when I was a kid, when we wanted to go out for a hamburger and french fries. Some of you remember? And this was before we had a McDonald's. I grew up in Beaumont. I didn't know where there was a McDonald's. and uh, But we went to this little hamburger shack, where you would sit in your car, you would walk up, and you would order at the window. And you would tell them, oh, those are some great hamburgers, too, weren't they? (laughs) Boy, you would tell them, I want, you know, a hamburger and french fries. It wasn't a complicated menu, all right? You go sit, you give them your name, or they give you a number, and you go sit in your car, and you'd wait. Anybody remember those days? You remember those days? And you might wait 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer. But you know when they cooked that hamburger, they were cooking it while you were sitting in your car, right? And, uh, boy, it makes me hungry thinking that. These are some great burgers and fries. And then something happened. The fast food chain started to explode. Burger King, McDonald's, you know. What a burger. There you go. All right. Come on. Can I get a witness? All right. Uh, we to have one Burger Chef. Anybody remember Burger Chef? I mean, it was some good ones. All the fish sandwiches you can, ha- you can eat on Fridays. So, the first job I ever had when I was in high school, fast forward a few years to the 70s, I go to work for Dairy Queen. And then this is the midst of McDonald's and Burger King and even Whataburger coming around. And my boss sat me down the first day and he explained to me the philosophy of Dairy Queen. And it was this. We still believe people want to have their food cooked fresh. And not, not it cooked before they get there. And so, explain to me, that's why we're not, we're not giving in to the trend to call this food ahead of time so that it's ready when they come up and pay for it and put it in a bag and give it to them. And so, okay. And there would be, I want to tell you, days where people would just come in for ice cream because they could get it then. But they were not really waiting because times had changed. Folks, times had changed. They were going to McDonald's and Burger King and anywhere they could get fast food because that's what fast food means. Everything's on the clock and nobody came, hardly anybody would come in and say, I'll wait for my hamburger to be cooked. So last I checked, Dairy Queen is not at the top, not at the top of the fast food list of businesses because they still believe that what i'm telling you is we can change and we can keep up with how things have changed or we can we can be pulling up the rear end is what could happen there's a lot of churches these days that could call themselves dairy queen baptist church we got to be careful he talks a lot about what he's doing you know what he's doing He is reaching people, and He's going to do it one way or another. The question will be, and the question was with Peter, Peter, will you join me? There's There's three men standing at the gate right now ready to take you to a crowd of people that are Gentiles waiting to hear the gospel. Will you come down off the roof and go with them? You see, because the day before, he had started with one man named Cornelius, a centurion. He was a, he was a Roman captain of a hundred soldiers, who was godly, spiritual, but lost, didn't know the gospel. And he had said to the Holy Spirit had said to an, through an angel to Cornelius, "You go and send for a man named Simon." Peter, who's up, who will be with a man named Simon in Joppa, go get him and bring him back, and he'll tell you about the gospel. So the message to Peter is, will you join God in what he's doing, or will he have to go find somebody else? Because he's going to do it. Peter came down off the rooftop, and you know what he did? He invited those three men to come in to his friend Simon's house and spent the night. Now, nobody, no good Jew invites Gentiles to come in and spend the night. But he was already starting to change his thinking. Peter was. This is the same Peter who had been confronted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians for not eating with Gentiles. This is the same Peter who had said, I never, in fact, he said that on the rooftop, I never, the next statement was going to be, I never will. But God was doing something new, and the message to Peter was, if I'm doing something new, and if I said what was unclean is now clean, then what other, what other credentials do you need right here? In your talk with Jesus, would you dare ask him, what are you doing today about reaching people? We do all of the changing in this talk with Jesus. Watch this progression from I was never to later, he would say, in chapter 11, the next chapter, verse 17, as he got to where he was now in Jerusalem and telling the other apostles about it. And he was telling this great story that, you know, he's got, he's got to be thinking while he's telling it, nobody's going to believe this. He was saying that if God has said that the, the gospel is now for the Gentiles, watch this now, he said, who was I to stand in God's way? That's what he said, verse 17. Who was I? as he's looking at the other apostles, John, James, the others. He's telling me, if if God's doing this, who are we to stand in his way? Flexibility and change. They're not easy. I don't like changing. But they are really what the Christian life is all about. Change in us. They're essential to following Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples one time, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I interpret that to mean that he's going to show us where to fish for people. He might have something new to say to you about what pond to be fishing out of. Just think about that. These days, there's congregations that call themselves fellowships rather than church. I have to tell you, I have a little problem with that word fellowship, not because I don't like fellowship. That's a real thing in the Bible. But it implies that it's all about us rather than about them who are not part of us yet. Jesus said, I will build my church in Matthew 16. I will build my church, not my fellowship. And he said, when I build my church, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against what I'll do through my church. It's about the mission that he has through the church. While we're on mission, we have fellowship. But the main thing is not fellowship, okay? That's a byproduct, but it's not the goal of the church. Finally, the blessing that's in this is reserved for those who are willing to be flexible like Peter after Peter's talk with Jesus he obeyed and he went with the men that were sent by Cornelius to Caesarea and where Cornelius and some of his friends and family were waiting for him and then others were waiting and and Gentiles would hear the gospel in fact look at chapter 10 verses uh, verses 44 to 48 While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, Kenny. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay for a few days. This revival, this this Gentile Pentecost broke out. And why? God was doing something new, and Peter had the blessing to be part of it because he was willing to step outside of his box of what he'd always known, what he'd always understood, and he's right in doing that. But now God was saying, Now I'm doing something new. Peter, will you join me in this? On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was a hut. There was just one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch out over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so much that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to uh, become associated with the life-saving station and give their time and money and effort to support the work that it was doing. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and this little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude, so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those who were being saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds, put in better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully, furnished it as sort of a club. The members began to hang out there frequently, and they enjoyed the new club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do that work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. So about at this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some of them were different and spoke a different language. The beautiful new club quickly became became dirty and full of those who needed help. The property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims could be hosed down and they could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting... There was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and it was a hindrance to the normal activities of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called a life-saving station, not a club. Those devoted life-saving members were finally voted down and they were told that if they wanted to save the lives of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. And they evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded down the coast. If you visit this seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. This is a parable of the church in general. This is where the church in general has come to. But not everybody, not every life-saving station, It's the temptation, it's the drift that is natural for all churches. But you have to periodically say, let's get back to what we were created to be. I just wonder, I just wonder, brothers and sisters, if as you're having your little talk with Jesus, he might have something special for you, but it would be different And maybe outside of your box. Could you be like Peter? When he shows you what that is. Would you be ready to come down from the rooftop. And go with him. Wherever he leads you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father we thank you for your omniscience. Your omnipotence. Your eternal being. You know already what you're going to do. And it's our blessing to join you in that. I pray a special prayer now for every individual here today, but also for this church, that God, during the period of time, before you send them their next leader, that you speak to them very clearly, God, about who they are to be in this next chapter of First Baptist Church Rosenberg. What that's supposed to be like And any particular adjustments that you'd call them to make, whether you lower a sheet down from heaven or not, you'd be very clear with them and their understanding of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.